It's time for us to get into our nature diary, joined as always by our residency assigned nature conservationist, Tim Neary, who off air was telling me how about 40 years ago, he broke his foot pulling a killer whale off the beach. Yeah, it, 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 I think it was the 16th of December or something. Somewhere yes. around about there. Somewhere around about 1974, 70s. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere there. Why were you pulling an orca? Well, it beached itself on King's Beach. Okay. In Port Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And the port captain, Captain Ted Page at the time, said, remove the whale because of the holiday makers. Okay. And the whale was still alive. Okay. So the, the aquarium were all involved and they, they sort of very quickly created almost like a whole front end to try and pull this whale off and pull it by its tail and what yeah. have you. And uh, we took the 36-foot rescue boat, which is, I was at Sea Rescue. Mm-hmm. And John Walker was the skipper, and and our crew bailed overboard to swim the line ashore to pull the whale off, and then we sat in the surf line with these with these very powerful engines pulling this damn whale, which was it an adult? Yes, it was. And what they didn't tell us is that as they you know got all excited and it was a very high tide, and as the whale was coming off, they didn't tell us that the silly thing had died. Oh, no. So we got off of the harbour wall and the Captain Ted Page announced that we would get in the water to please inspect and ensure the whale was dead. And I don't think I was too polite on the radio when I kind of informed him that if he wanted to get in the water with a large whale, he was welcome to try this himself. Um, and it went on. It was actually very interesting because it had come ashore to 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 die i mean effectively it, it washed because it's its teeth were flat and that's the whale that when you go to port elizabeth i don't know if it's still there um philippe took a a, a cast of the whale and then reproduced it and it was at the entrance of the aquarium so wait how does the foot break in all of I this i was on the lookout post and we got smacked by a particularly large wa- uh, wave and i came crashing off the lookout post. Right. So at the back of the rescue boat, we had two lookout platforms and I was trying to see what was going on and I lost my footing and fell uh, a little bit of distance into the bottom of the boat and kind of broke a foot. Okay. Yeah. Because I was trying to figure out how there was a whale on the beach and there was a broken foot. All sorts of funny things. (laughs) You've lived such an interesting life. No, we've done some funny things. Some silly things. (laughs) Silly things. Pulling whales off of beaches. Really? (laughs) I mean, come on. It's been nice now. So we're talking about butterflies. Although, I just want to say I'm very excited. Apparently, there are orcas in False Bay. Which makes me very excited. I love orcas, but it also means they're unlikely to be sharks in false bay. Yeah, now port because, and starboard. Um, if there are orcas around, the sharks kind of go, we don't want the stress. We're yeah. just going to avoid this area for I'd a year. I'd love to see, I'd love to watch a video of how they do it because they literally explode the shark. Really? And they yeah. just, all they remove is the, is liver. the liver with high vitamin A. <laughs> and it's, it's port and starboard because the one's fin falls to the port side and the other to the starboard side. Really? Yes. Okay. But if you have a look outside, um, I saw one or two this morning, but th- they were really good on Wednesday, Thursday, as we, we've got this migration of butterflies floating through the, through the countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, Where are they the coming from again? Vein whites. They, they start their life out on the shepherd's trees uh, in the Karoo uh, Kalahari, and then they, they have this migration, and I often wonder, where do they go to when they get to the coast? Are they like lemmings? They appear to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was 
rather interesting looking at the butterflies we've got in the gardens at the moment and it was maybe time to talk about butterflies and I was looking up Butterfly Valley, I've never been there Yeah. Uh, but I was looking up Butterfly Valley and they've got a lovely website uh, that it allows you to understand the families and all and I thought, oh, hold on, what about butterflies? People want to know about planting for butterflies and uh, do we have lots of butterflies and so that for lots of species and all. Mm. So that, that was what started it. And so joining us is the founder of the Ramsgate Butterfly Valley, David Swart. David, a very good morning to you. Good to have you on Weekend Breakfast. Yes, good morning, groups, and good morning, Tom. So tell us about the Ramsgate Butterfly Valley. I've never heard of it, and I was just doing a bit of reading about it. It sounds fascinating and almost magical. Uh, yeah, now we've actually been around for a while. We started in 2001 already. Mm-hmm. And basically, yeah, we concentrate on indigenous butterflies. We do, we do our own breeding. Um, you know, the, the, the good point about it is we, we actually got an educational function. We've got a, we, um, got a conservation side. And we are actually able to show the public the entire life cycle of the butterfly. We start right from the egg right through to, to the butterfly itself, which includes obviously the larva stage and then the, the, the pupas. That's, that's one of the things I think I find so interesting is that no gardener wants a, uh, a worm or caterpillar of any description anywhere near their plants. They all love butterflies. The, the, the attachment between the two, how do we know who's who and who's a good a good worm in your garden and who isn't? You know, that is, um, the, the, the poor old butterflies get blamed for a lot of things that they, they're actually not guilty of because uh, the larva stage of the, of the butterfly, you're not likely to find it in your garden unless you're growing something like plectranthus or, you know, it's not going to affect your rose bushes or anything like that. They, they, they're very selective with their plants that they actually breed on. They're called host plants, and most of them are very, very much weedy type plants. We would classify them as weeds, I would imagine. And, uh, you know, it's the type of plants that you don't keep in your garden in any case. So the, the, the butterflies flying around your garden are basically just looking for nectar. That's an, a very interesting point you just raised because we see the caterpillar and then we see the butterfly. Mm. What happens in that breeding point between the two? Where, uh, where in fact, do they breed in your garden? Um, probably, not, probably not in your garden. Probably in the the, the vacant lot next door that's, that's full of weeds and um, you know <laughs> plants that that you wouldn't grow in your garden usually. Um, the, the caterpillars that you're likely to find in your garden, like the hawk moth caterpillars, you know the ones that go for your plectranthus, uh, your um, your um, plectranthus, yeah. Um, they're, they're not very selective actually. They'll go for, for a variety of plants. They, do, they can be, be quite uh, destructive. They can destroy your plants. Um, very seldomly will those be butterfly caterpillars. Uh, 90% of the time, it's going to be a moth caterpillar. Now, looking at our gardens and looking at our, uh, at, at the, the butterflies, etc., w- effectively the function, you say they're looking for nectar, are they performing more of a function than just collecting the nectar? And is that nectar just for, for their own energy consumption? Um, obviously, the benefit to the plant is, is the pollination side of it. They, they have, they're very good pollinators. Um, you know, along with the bees, um, they're probably the second best pollinator. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a purpose for the, for the butterflies actually eating the nectar. The, 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 
the, the flour will actually benefit by, by the, the, the pollination side of it. David, the brown-veined white butterfly that we often see, well, we see it once a year making its way. Tim was just saying it starts its life out in the Kalahari region. I think their final destination is Mozambique. Years ago, there was a piece written about how they, that, that, I guess, migration was becoming earlier and earlier, and it was as a result of climate change. Is that still the case that we've seen a change in the timing of that migration? And is, you know, changes to... Um, the climate, one of the reasons or the main reason why that's happening? Uh, there's not uh, any sort of specific time that uh, the, the migration will actually take place. It, it is dependent on the weather in the, in the Northern Cape. You know, they're all originate from sort of the, the arid areas of, of let's call it the Karoo, Kalahari. And uh, just depending on the, the, the seasonal changes, uh, you know, you can't really say at this stage that it's just due to global warming, but uh, yeah, the, the times do vary. It's not, it's, uh, you know, it's not a hard and fast rule that they will come on such and such a date. It's normally midsummer, so which is usually January. Can be a bit earlier, can be a bit later. But to 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 say global warming is just changing the timing, I, I, I don't know. I couldn't really confirm that. David, your own interest in butterflies, where did that stem from? Because, you know, it's not something that one sort of goes along and says, hang on, I've got an interest in butterflies. They're kind of, kind of, they're cool and they're lovely in your garden. But where did your interest stem from? Uh, do you want the short story or the long story? I think, I think we stick to the short story. Yeah, yeah, the short story. <laughs> it, sort of, it, sort of, it sort of just came my way, you know. Um, I had a, I had a, a, a nursery come... Tea garden, come uh, pet shop, and uh, you know we were looking for something else to something else of interest for the public, uh, sort of a sideline attraction. And uh, the butterflies site came up, uh, so we introduced the butterflies, and it just basically grew from there. It's, uh, and at the moment, we purely a butterfly farm, come a few odd, odds and ends of reptiles and a few other insects. But uh, uh, now, carry on. I like the sound when you say the butterfly farm. You yes. know, one, uh-huh. one visualizes one farming butterflies. The, the, do you, in fact, um, breed and release, or are you only really breeding to, to, to restock the dome consistently? And how long do butterflies live for? Okay, we, um, we breed entirely for ourselves. We breed entirely for the, for the farm. Um, it's actually frowned upon by conservationists to actually release anything, including butterflies, any kind of insect into the wild without doing uh, studies prior to, to release. You never know how it's going to affect the ecosystem, you know. So, so we, right. we actually try and have as little impact on the environment as possible. So, so we, we purely breed for our, for our own purposes. And um, as far as how long do butterflies live for, yeah, not very long, I'm afraid. Only, only, only two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. It's, Sort of that's 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 a general answer. So there are exceptions. Oh. Some will go uh, right through winter. Um, we find there are some species of butterflies that will sort of last the whole of winter. But but generally, yeah, but a butterfly's lifespan is very short. David, tell us about um, uh, some of the activities at the farm because it is open to the public. Uh, you can bring your kids. Um, I think you also receive scholar trips as well. Tell us about, you know, some of the things that can be, you know, that's available to see and do um, at at the valley. 
Like obviously the main thing with the butterflies, I mean, we, we, we do get a lot of schools and things here. Uh, it's, it's educational, as I said earlier, and uh, we've got a very much a, a conservational side as well. We try and teach people, uh, you know, what, what, how to treat the butterflies that do come to their gardens, what they should be doing, how to attract butterflies to their gardens. Um, we've, we've got um, a tour guide will actually take you. Um, her name is Melandi. She's very good. She'll, she'll take you from, as I say, from, from the... To the egg stage. Um, if you're lucky enough, you'll even see butterflies laying eggs, which you just don't see in nature. You know? So it's quite a unique experience. And then, uh, yeah, she'll, she'll show you the entire process. And it is, it is literally butterfly farming. <laughs> Tim, was, Tim was saying it's quite an uh, unusual thing to, to call it, but it is literally butterfly farming. We, we farm with butterflies. And uh, other than the butterflies, then we do have, of course, we've got a gift shop, we've got a, a small tea garden, we've got a, a few reptiles. We've quite a, quite a big thing for us at the moment is our, is our bunny section that we've introduced. Uh, the, the smaller children enjoy feeding the bunnies, so that's often they come back just to just to come feed the bunnies again, and <laughs> the, the butterflies sort of become secondary to them. But uh, yeah, uh, it's and then we've got of course we've got our nature walk and things like that as well. I, yeah. I, I rather enjoyed on the bottom of your page, you've got a butterfly identification point, and I uh-huh. see five groups of butterflies. Are, are these countrywide, or are these particularly only to, to KZN? It's pretty much countrywide. Um, you know, that's sort of like the most common butterflies that you're likely to find. It's not very comprehensive. It's, it's If you see a butterfly in your garden, it's just to be able to go to the website and just say, uh, it's, it's a gaudy commodore, or it's a um, whatever, such a swallowtail, or whatever. Uh, so, so it's just, just, just a, a you know, if you if you really want to get into butterfly identification, I would recommend you get a, a good, uh, comprehensive book. You know, there's, there's quite a few on the market, some very good ones. David, if someone's looking to find more information about the valley, and maybe the next time they are in um, the area and wanting to make a visit, uh, where do we find that information? Um, sorry, as a, as a location. As a your, so where do we find, If you know, do you have a website, a Facebook page, social yes, media, yes, that if yes, we're looking yes. for info, oh, sorry, sorry. where do we get oh, it? No. Okay, look, look, you can just Google Butterfly Farm Ramsgate and it'll come up. Our website will come up. But uh, the, the website address is butterflyfarm.co.za. Very, very simple. Mm. I like this. I think it's kind of cool. I think it's cool. Uh, I, I think it's, it's also very nice that you can walk through the dome Look at different plants that they've got, which you can start to see what attracts butterflies yeah. and, and pick it up from there. David, nice one. And I, I like the fact that uh, you follow good conservation principles, and I think that's very important. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's one of our big things is to educate people a little bit about uh, the conservation aspect of butterflies. Yeah. So, yeah, we enjoy doing that. David, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been great having you on The Nature Diary. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Thank, Thank you so much. Thanks very much. That is the founder of the Ramsgate Butterfly Valley, David Swart, joining us this morning. And that website, again, if you're looking to find out a little bit more about them, uh, they are in Ramsgate, which is just after Margate. I say just after, but it's the next town after Margate. You can find them on butterflyfarm.co.za. Tim, where are we going next week? Do we know? I think next week we're going to be taking to the skies. Oh, how 
how fun. Yeah, we're going to look at, um, there's been a very interesting project where they have re-established a, a vulture colony down in the Eastern Cape. Oh. And we're going to find out a bit more about that one. Okay. What so, had happened to the colony before? Why did it need to be? It massively went extinct. Um oh. Remember that vultures, the, the biggest issue, uh, and everybody will jump up and down and say that it's the mooty hunters grabbing the vultures. Well, unfortunately, in, in later years, it's, they've been killed off by, by poisons for a number of, in a number of ways. Uh, one of them often is the farmers would put out various poisons for jackal, etc. And vultures being scavengers, they will come along and they will eat that poison and off they go. Right. And unfortunately, we have also got where... Traditionally, there has been sustainable harvesting of, butterf- of, of butterflies, of uh, vultures, and unfortunately, again, lacing a carcass, instead of getting one vulture that's required, they might kill out 30 or 40, okay. and uh, that's been a huge issue. We've seen it across all over, um, where, as I say, in particular, lacing of carcasses uh, to get rid of predators mm. or, or problem animal control. I love that word. It's not problem animals, problem humans. Okay, so we'll discuss the vultures next week. Yeah, we'll discuss the vultures next week and then we'll, uh, we're also still going to be doing our program on boreholes because I see people are putting boreholes down uh, all due to climate change. No, you're not. You're messing up the system.